Hello and welcome to this slightly different episode of the Hips and Hips podcast with me, Curtis Mansfield. Normally at this point, I would have myself announce this week's special guest. However, I unfortunately this week, I'm all alone. All by myself. I am on call for my hospital this week. And unfortunately, I received a dreaded call from intensive care calling me into the hospital moments before my interview was due to start. This week's guest was supposed to be Ben Fletcher, soon to be two times Olympian for judo. Ben seems like a really interesting character, having represented GB in 2016 and is set to represent Ireland in 2021, which as someone who has dual heritage themselves really interests me. Ben's also occupied the top six in the world in the 100 kilos plus category. So I think he'll be a really interesting and insightful guest, both in terms of competition and injury. That is all to come next week. And, uh, and that will be the penultimate episode for this first series. But for now, seeing as it is just me, I thought I would reflect on what has been a very interesting journey. Not all positives, but certainly an exciting one in the form of this podcast. As I dip my toe into the world of media and podcasting. I've also collated a few of my best clips from the series, as suggested by you, the listeners at home. By the time this series draws to an end in a fortnight's time, there'll be a total of 32 episodes featuring 29 different guests from around the world of sport and fitness. I'm acutely aware that 32 episodes is a long series, but I am proud. So take that, Peter Crouch, and your pathetic 15 episodes a series. Big fan, by the way. Um, if you do want to come on, feel free we can talk about spray nays and the Sam rat till the cows come home, as well as I'm sure some interesting, interesting insights into injury and sport and, and all that. This first series, which started in, a, in my car in South London with my phone on the dashboard, has now survived two national lockdowns and featured guests who are residing or representing the US, England, Malta, Ireland, Canada, Australia, Scotland, and by the end of this series, Denmark. And if you want variety, my guests compete in bodybuilding, rugby, hockey, calisthenics, modern pentathlon, trampolining, bobsleigh, boxing, track cycling, windsurfing, diving, mogul skiing, mountain biking, powerlifting, athletics, DMT, beach volleyball, kayaking, and skateboarding. Before I get some clips on the go for you, let me just take a moment to really thank all those guests for their time in terms of recording as well as promotion. My, my sponsors, Airfit, Airfit as well, uh, for their contribution, and to all you listeners for your support in making this whole project feasible. Before we have clip number one, let me just remind you to check out the social media if you haven't done so already, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z uh, for more content. Uh, and if you're new to this podcast, why not go and check out the back catalogue, which is available on Spotify and Apple, etc. And to be honest, probably wherever you are currently listening to this episode right now.
So, my first clip seems rather topical this week. Stuart Lancaster, as a former England rugby head coach, was probably the guest who most people were familiar with at home pre-podcast, and he didn't disappoint. In this clip, we talk about leadership in the government, which is apt, really, this week, as Dominic Cummings has come out and publicly criticised the Prime Minister and the Health Secretary for their roles in what was generally regarded as a bit of a shambolic approach to handling this pandemic. Anyway, so this first clip is from Leinster coach and ex-England rugby head coach, Stuart Lancaster. I've learned leadership is a skill that can be learned. I think in modern society and the, the way in which some, some people who are in the top of the organisations in the country lead, I think well, a lot more could be done and I'd like to see more done to develop leadership skills and emotional intelligence skills and communication skills in young people, you know, both in schools and uh, as they leave school going into the workplace, because I often think we judge people on um, your GCSE results or A-level results, yeah. um, which are purely academic, whereas the people who are successful in life are champion people who can communicate and lead well. And um, I think it's a skill that can be learned. So, yeah, if anyone's listening who is interested, then um, connect with me on LinkedIn. I've got 16,000 connections, as you know, because you, know, you connected with me on there. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of leadership content that I've posted that hopefully will be of interest. Um, I have a leadership course out there um, that uh, six modules that people can sign up to on stuartlancaster.com. So, you know, if you're interested in doing that, then great. If not, send me a connection on LinkedIn and, you know, hopefully we can improve the quality of leadership in the country yeah definitely i mean there's, there's certainly a, a lot that can be done in terms of leadership in this country for sure um and i think that's not going too far to say that there's there's clearly big avenues that can be made uh, so if we could just have maybe just have like a very brief introduction to leadership perhaps maybe like one or two minutes just where would you even start what would be your kind of your opening point when it comes to leadership well understand it's a skill that can be learned um, so you don't, it's not like there's some magic wand that people are great leaders and other people aren't, you know, so you can definitely become better as a leader. Um, becoming self-aware, you know, understanding your own personality, your own strengths and weaknesses, um, getting feedback about, you know, your own, whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, do the psychometric profile maybe. Um, more socially aware, you know, um, building good relationships um, uh, and understanding how to get the best out of people, how to communicate with people, I think is probably the key facets of being a great leader. And I think if you can do that um, and do it well consistently, then you will gravitate to leadership positions within any, any organisation. At this point, we normally have some sort of quiz. Uh, so this week, as a suggestion from Keith from Croydon, he wanted to hear more of that amazing American accent. Uh, so this is a throwback to Blood on the Tracks with Kendall Ryan. I'm not sure this is romance. <laughs> Maybe but, next uh, time type like Kendall Ryan cyclist and then you won't have that issue. Yeah, well, next time, yeah. I mean, too bad in mind, I just have to filter through all the, uh, <laughs> the other stuff. That's fine. That's fine. We'll, uh, I've learned from that. Uh, but I have prepared a little game. Um and it's based on, I found out <laughs> you used to be a saxophone player. 
Oh God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that is the level of detail I did in my research. Yeah, um, you dug deep. Yeah, I'll just ask. So um, we're going to play a little game called Blood on the Tracks, which is oh, a God. music themed uh, little quiz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's based around your love of music and your love of cycling and we're going to compare that to Freddie Mercury's love of music and cycling oh, which is, I assume okay. what he meant by the song I want to ride my bicycle um, uh -huh. I imagine I, I assume he's talking about a literal bicycle I wouldn't know any different <laughs> um, and before anyone who's listening is concerned by <laughs> Kendall's knowledge on Queen I did prep her for this by telling her this song would come up so she isn't necessarily she might well be but i don't think she's a super fan um uh, of queen <laughs> but <laughs> so for this game uh the the song queen features 10 lines um which have contrasting points so for example uh freddie mercury sings you say black i say white okay so for this quiz i want you I'm going to read out the first half of the line and I want you to tell me the final word. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you the first one actually. So there's only nine left. So next one. Uh, you say bark, I say. Bite. Yeah. <laughs> you say rolls, I say. Royce. Royce, yeah. Uh, you're not cheating, are you? No. <laughs> so, I'm just, you're doing them out of order. <laughs> <laughs> You say Lord, I say. I have no idea. Lord. That one, that one was Christ. Christ, oh. Uh, <laughs> I want to ride my. Bicycle. No, that was bike, actually, that one. Oh, bike? Yeah. yeah. I want to ride my. Bicycle? That one was bicycle, yeah. That was bicycle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, you say John, I say Wayne. Yeah. Uh, for Vietnam or your American history, or well, your history, I suppose we call it American history. God. Uh, you're out of time. The answers. <laughs> <laughs> the answers: Watergate. Oh, Watergate. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Watergate. I didn't know that lyric. <laughs> uh, you say smile, I say... I have no idea. Cheese. That is. Cheese. Cheese, yeah. Is that, is, that might be, is that an English expression? I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, and finally, I want to ride my... Bicycle. No, that was bike as well. Bike. That's another wrong one. <laughs> So I'll give you uh, I'll give I you seven. I failed this test, maybe like sixty <laughs> percent. Seven out of ten. That's a pass <laughs> by uh, British standards. So uh, well done. Thanks. <laughs> I honestly one. thought you were gonna have me sing the song. <laughs> no, well you can if you want. Oh my god, here we go. No, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> okay, well that was another episode of Blood on the Tracks. All the interviews from this series have sort of really excited me in slightly different ways. Some I found really challenging, some I found really eye-opening, some I just found really fun and enjoyable. I think this particular interview with Sarah Collin probably fit into all of those, but I'd say I certainly find it very challenging. Um, I don't come from a background where it's normal to sort of talk about mental health um, 
or talk about health in general. And I think I think I found that really challenging to sit there and have someone be so open with me. Um, I'm glad she was because I think the content we all gain from that is really beneficial. And it's something which myself in the weeks that came afterwards found myself reflecting on my own mental health and perhaps what I can do for others to make their lives easier. Anyway, a lot of people who I spoke to said it's on their favourite clips. Um, and in particular, uh, Dan from Kent has said he loved this He loved this episode, one of his favourites. He loved how his approach to mental health was perhaps altered by Sarah's run, vulnerability and openness. So let me hand over to Sarah Collin. I just remember coming home and mum and dad were sat at the table um, and I was just like oh my goodness what's going on and then they'd found laxatives that I'd been hiding as well because that's another thing I did I'd bought laxatives for myself um, and they were just like you know we need to explain this and then it was just yeah it was I broke down in tears I think um, yeah just and then ran from the room my mum broke down into, yeah, it was just, oh, it was, oh I remember it now. <laughs> um, it was, it was a dramatic day, but to be honest, you know, as much as I re regret the turmoil and everything it put my parents through and my family, my close friends through, like, I don't think saying I don't regret it is the wrong word, but I've learned a lot from it. And if anything, it brought me closer to my mum and dad. I mean, they're, they're, they're divorced now and have been for many years, um, but it brought me both it brought me closer to them both in separate ways um you know obviously if I if I could go back and change it I would in hindsight but hindsight's a wonderful thing um but yeah I learned a lot from it and as much as there was to lose from it there was a lot of things that I gained like I just my relationship with both of them just strengthened so much um mm. and yeah I don't know well I suppose um you mentioned there that your teacher's interjected and then you had that sort of intervention with your family and but I suppose, I suppose what do you think would have happened if that wasn't the case if you weren't picked up at, at an early stage um your let's just say this was 30 40 years ago people were mm -hmm. less aware about mental health problems maybe your teacher wouldn't have recognized it do you think there would have been a self-limiting phase when you might have found a way yourself or do you think you really you're really lucky that you had that support at the time people recognize it you didn't have to recognize it yourself someone recognize it for you um I don't think I can answer that to be honest I don't I I just simply don't know I think I'm in a very privileged position where I'm in an area of the country that's you know very privileged and we had the resources as a family that I was able to get the help I needed like the therapy sessions um and even back then so, you know mental health was still a stigma I didn't want to tell anyone at school other than the people I said I've told um but I yeah I don't know how I would answer that I mean I think I'd be I'd be lying if I denied the fact that there are days where I felt like I wanted to commit suicide but not strong enough to ever go through with it or um or you know um but I, I don't know I think that was just always that bit of hope at the and that little bit of light at the end of the tunnel you know I like I said I was extremely lucky to have very very supportive loving caring parents which isn't the case for everybody and 
part of me was kind of doing it for them because I was just like no you they they always told me you will get better you will get through this which maybe is where some of the determination comes from and some of the determination for the injury came from um but I think my parents definitely just they just gave me so much hope and they were just like no you will get through this and I was just like actually you know as I was doing it for them as much as I was doing it for myself yeah no of course I think um I may have always said it's so important these conversations are had mm. and people like you speak out and particularly like celebrities have more of a following and influence yeah um I mean as a country we're getting pretty good now when it comes to like first aid with loads yeah. of, like, every, every workplace has a first aid a defibrillator but people aren't taught in how to recognize you might know the recognize you might be able to recognize the early signs of a stroke or a mm. heart attack um like can people recognize the early signs of bulimia or depression yeah. or suicidal tendencies and yeah. if we oh, uh, that's I mean that is the biggest killer in young people is mental mm. health problems so if 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 you want to save young lives you've got to really have first aid for mental health really yeah and I think it's it's nice to see that it is changing as you say it is shifting there's a huge momentum in research especially with mental health and sport which I'm really lucky to be a part of and have my research uh, out there and be part of a research team that's you know working on it but I think I sent a message to one of my friends telling telling them that I was doing this podcast and I said actually one of the things I'm terrified about is that what if people think I'm making it up what if people don't believe me or what if people think I'm just doing this for attention and for me to have that thought, I think shows a lot about our culture. So the next clip comes courtesy of Josh from Surrey, who has asked for a clip from Omar Mezian. Omar is, of course, a world-renowned chef, and he's someone who I've been familiar with his work for years. And when I had this opportunity to talk to people through this podcast, I couldn't wait to get him on. And I'm really glad we did because I think it was a great conversation. In this clip, he talks a little bit about like vegan diets, plant-based eating, and perhaps how his whole approach to food has changed in recent years. So ladies and gentlemen, Omar Mezian. Look, for me, I think I think the biggest thing around veganism is that, you know, it was seen as as potentially a bit of a a, a kind of hippie loving trend, wasn't it? Mm. You know, and and then it's and then it kind of took on this, I suppose, this persona of, you know, um, well, I'm vegan, and therefore I'm better than you and and so on you know and that put a lot of people off I think the great thing about it now is is it's become so much more you know it's not a movement anymore it's very much mainstream um and I for one am really glad to see a movement away from you know it just being heavy heavy meat you know the biggest thing for me I suppose is the is the lack of bloating you know it's the fact that I I feel like I've got a bit more energy and whether that's kind of in my mind or not you know um uh, you know and nobody can really explain the placebo effect however uh, you can't deny the placebo effect and therefore 
you know, it clearly works, doesn't it? You know, so oh, yeah. And I mean, if the placebo, if the placebo effect works, then it doesn't really matter. If you feel good, then Absolutely. great. Absolutely. I remember, um, so I recall, I said this in the last episode we spoke about this, but I, so I ran this 10k. Um, it would have been around about, um, I think it would say like like May time, and I yeah. ran it, which I think it was something like 40. I forget the time now. It was 40 minutes point something. So like for someone of my ability, that's a pretty fast 10k. Yeah. Um, I think I knocked something like five minutes off my PB in this one particular day where I'd eaten vegan for the whole week before. Yeah. And <clears throat> and by, I crossed like the finish line by which I mean like the lamppost in the park because yeah. uh, <laughs> it was locked down. And then I just sort of stopped thinking and then I just didn't feel tired. It's like I stopped and was expecting to be like passed out on the floor. Kind yeah. of like, oh, what a great time. That was amazing. I'm just thinking if it wasn't that my car was parked near that, this lamppost, I could have just carried on running. I had no reason to stop. I only stopped because it was time to go home and have dinner, but I felt yeah. I could have had another 10 K and that, yeah. that lack of said that lack of stitching my muscles felt so well fueled um and it was just it was quite an eye-opening moment when but one thing i would say which um said you, you kept using the word veganism which obviously is, is the is the correct term Ooh. but um i actually much prefer the term sort of plant-based because i think veganism said a it's a whole movement and to be vegan you have to align yourself with the like the politics and the ethics which for me I'm yeah. very much sports performance first. Yeah. Anything else is a great bonus. So if I can play better yeah. and feel better and be healthier yeah. and help the environment, that's fantastic. I'm not yeah. I'm not those people who's kind of wants to wants to do both. I'm very much focused on the Actually, sports. You're a hundred percent right. A hundred percent right. And I think I think that's a big part that we need to get over. And I've always again, I've always been anti plant-based tag you know i've always been anti-plant-based tag um again until just recently because what you say is absolutely right you know uh, the veganist kind of movement is solely based in my opinion around the morals of kind of eating meat and the production of meat and so on um as whereas plant-based is about eating food that's doing yourself better isn't it you yeah. know you can feel you know i mean one thing that came out of the game changers documentary i've got to say you know was that we we had a football camp not long after that documentary came out and half of the squad turned up and were vegan you know wow. mm. and and you can imagine me and Mike were like, oh, my God, well, what do we do? We haven't planned for this because in the summer at the World Cup, you know, um, everybody was eating meat and fish. And what do we do now? Um, but actually, we turned it to our real advantage, which was there were some of these football players that weren't regular vegetable eaters. And now they had no choice. And so, you know, it was this massive piece of education, which was if you've made this decision, this is what you've got. And actually, you know, we saw some of these players really flourish under this. You know, I mean, they all started eating meat, you know, a couple of days later as I introduced <laughs> kind of chicken katsu curry. And it was like, yeah, well, you know, maybe I'll just have that, you know. But it was the fact that 
that it had opened their eyes to this cornucopia of of other you know ingredients other than just meat rice and and sauce you know enjoyed the episode with omar mezian i think he's got a real knack just for sort of the way he talks just drawing you in really making you interested in all the food he offers and just the ingredients he's got that real sort of celebrity chef style which is really interesting um my next guest actually is coming courtesy of adam from wandsworth he's got in contact to say he loved an interview i did with team gb boxer Fraser Clark. Now, Fraser spent so much of his career in the shadows behind big names like Anthony Joshua. Uh, but now I think he's ready to step out and have a great Olympics and hopefully a professional career in the years to come afterwards. Um, but this particular clip, slightly off the topic of sport, really, he really talks about what was quite a tough time for him, I imagine. He, uh, he had a, well, a very serious, uh, I won't get into detail, but a very serious, you say, off the field injury or incident. And the way he talks about it and the way this man seems to have had adversity just stalk him throughout his, uh, his life. I think mean, it's really interesting. So I'm going to hand over to Fraser Clark. So if we if we park the boxing to one side just for now, because um, you're a very interesting character in general, you've had some amazing stories to suggest that trouble follows you around might be an understatement. Um, uh. But so let's start off with um, obviously quite a sad incident for you. It was just after the birth of, of, of your first child, I think it was, when you had these yeah. in the nightclub. So tell us about that. Yeah, like I say, yeah. Uh... Trouble just seems to follow me, to be honest. Um, yeah, 2016, tradition. Obviously, I, I live in Burton-on-Trent, and, you know, people might call us farmers or whatnot. Uh, we make beer. The town makes beer. Everyone likes to drink beer. And if it's a celebration, you better believe that we're having a couple of gold bars, you know, and we're going to be uh, chucking them down. So that's what was happening. Um, celebrating the life of my daughter. She'd just been born, uh, wetting the baby's head. Just went to a local, local club and we everyone was half cooked by this point. As soon as I walked in there, I could, I could sense a bit of an atmosphere. Seeing seeing a, a bunch of lads that, you know, I know them. They're just from down the road. I know of them sort of and could sense an atmosphere. But to be honest, all night I stayed away from them. Then last, last probably half an hour of the club. We, we bumped into each other, something happened. I, I'm not quite sure, you know, so there's a bit of an altercation and we started fighting, or what I thought was fighting, me fighting with a few of them. Um, during that, you know, probably 30, 40 seconds of, of madness, you know, I'm, anyone that's watching this and knows how it gets, you know, when you're out there and people are drunk, and the, the tables are going, the bottles are going, the chairs are going. And whatnot. There's, I'm throwing punches all over the place, just one of them things. Um, but during that, obviously my adrenaline so high, I didn't really. I then went outside, and I and I seen I seen a familiar face, a, a girl that I know from from my town, and she just started screaming. I just think, what's going on? Um, she said, "Your neck. I've I've put my hand up. As I as I'm putting my hand up, I can the blood just squirted out onto onto my uh, onto my hands. You know, I thought, oh god, what's happened here? 
Um, I'd been stabbed uh, in the neck and twice in the leg. Um, unfortunate incident, like I say. Uh, you know, like I say, it's just one of them things that I regret. I wish I wish I never went out that night. I learned a lot from it. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm a completely innocent party. I was, I was, I was in the wrong place doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. You know, I had a bit of an ego about me, so I'm not saying I deserve to be stabbed because I think it's terrible. You know, I think I think people need to to realise it's people's lives that they're playing with. That would have left my daughter without a father. You know, my mother would have lost her son. My dad, my father lost his son and stuff like that. So I'm a brother. You know, I'm a family man. Um, so these knives, you know, people need to think twice and really put them down. But just one of them things that happened. You know, like I say, um, unfortunate. But I've learned from it and I've moved on from it. Yeah, and how how did that? Obviously, it was a horrible event for you and your family, anyway. But in terms of from a performance point of view, how did you recover? Did you did you get back quite quickly to fighting? Um, yeah, you know, like I said, once again, the doctor did a great a good great job on me. I think I think I had like uh, some internal stitching on my neck, and then I had to get cut open. I'd I had like a long scar from like probably like five or six inches long down the side of my neck. Um, that was stitched up as well. They, they obviously looked, thank God, and touch wood. And luckily, you know, they missed anything major arteries. So my, um, my, my leg was, was, was the real, the real thing that really hurt. Um, it took me, took me probably a month to get over it, you know, a lot of rest and stuff because there was tissue damage. Um, but once again, you know, explain my situation to these, um, to the medical team up here that must be absolutely sick of me, by the way. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, between them and performance director Robert Kraken, you know, he's he's a wise person. He's 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 lived his life, you know, before, and you know, he gave me some good words of advice, and I've, I've listened to him ever since, to be honest. And you know, there's been no similar incidents occur ever since that that moment, to be honest. And I mean, obviously, it's a tricky one, but obviously, you regretted going out in the first place. But do, do you regret at all sort of getting involved in that altercation? Have you learned perhaps could you have walked away? Could you have uh, changed your behavior in the night? Or is it something like you said, it's just out of your control? I think it, that, it's one of them things, it happens so quickly that it's just an altercation. But you know, I've grown up and I've, I've I'm, you know, I openly say I've. I've been a bit of a boy when I was younger. I've been in fights. I've been in loads of fights with, with my friends and stuff like that and, and other groups of people. It's just one of them things that young lads used to get up to. Um, I, I didn't know that... I didn't know. I obviously missed the memo. I didn't know that's what people were on in our days. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know... In my little town of Burton on Trent, the most that ever happened is a couple of punches, a bit of a swing up, probably go down the cherry orchards and have a straightener after the club or whatnot. And, and that's it, it's done with. I didn't know that that's the, the, the new type of uh, thing. You know, people carry knives and I want to stick them into people. I must have missed that memo, but um, yeah, just, I, I couldn't, I probably could avoid it. Anyway, I could avoid it. It's not go out. I shouldn't have drunk so much. I was pissed up. Um, I probably, I probably would have walked away then, but um, I'm a fighter on, do you know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah, yeah. If, if, if people if people front me, the top and bottom of it is, 
I don't, I, I don't back down from no one, not no one on this planet. I, I'm confident in myself, and don't matter who you are. If, 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 if people, you know, obviously I've learned my lesson now, but back then, if people wanted to have a go with me, you know, just bring it on, sort of thing. Well, yeah, and I suppose you got that target on your back because people see you. You're from a small town. People see you as a. Obviously, you're, you're famous in your town. They know you as the the boxer. So if they can get one over on you, well, they think they can. I suppose you're more of a target than. Yeah, it's just, yeah, people think like it's just stupidness because I'm a human being. Like I said, I've got a family and anyone that carries a knife around and thinks it's cool, you know, they listen to to um, listen to this music and, and, and these other people's lives and the way they talk about it and think we need to do that to be cool. They're just pathetic and stupid. Um, when you're playing with human life is different. So keep keep your knife to yourself, keep your hands to yourself. Worst comes to worst, get yourself down a boxing club. Invite the person you've got a problem with down there. Speak to the coaches. Do it. Do it. Do a few weeks of lessons and learn how to control your anger and control how to fight. I'm sure they'll let you have a spar with each other and sort your differences out. Right now, my uh, my final episode actually is one which has been suggested by a few people, but it's one that really resonates with me myself. Um, I caught up with Team GB sprinter and Scottish record holder, Beth Dobbin. And it's really interesting because so many of these injuries are sort of on the field injuries, so to speak. Um, I guess I've had, like whether it be in the gym or uh, physically in a game or in a fight or whatever, that injury's been occurred. But in Beth's case, it had nothing really to do with sport. It was a medical condition. And I think it's really interesting to see how a medical condition really hampered athletic performance and it could potentially have destroyed her career um, i think she talks really well about how the injury occurred um how that illness developed and how it actually really affected her day-to-day life as well as her sports career so really exciting uh, to hear from this final guest which is beth dobbin Uh, so this is interesting, actually. So this podcast is all about adversity and injuries and overcoming which. And normally that is a physical injury, um, which the athlete has had on the pitch. But in your case, actually, it's more of a medical issue. So uh, how about you just rewind the clocks and tell us a little bit about what went wrong and how you overcame it? Yeah, so I was um, at secondary school at the time. I think I was in maybe year eight, year nine. Um so I'd have been around 13 and it completely, well, it, it did pretty much come out the blue. I had the day before I had some kind of odd twitching sensations and the, in the morning again, I was trying to put my makeup on before school and I couldn't do it because my hand was like curling in. So I couldn't hold my mascara and my head was like tilting back, but I really didn't think anything of it at all. And then I was at school, it was break time um, and all of a sudden I just had this huge um, seizure which obviously I'd never had before um, so I didn't have a clue what was going on I honestly thought I was gonna die um, and all I remember was just felt like my eye was rolling back a bit my hand was moving uncontrollably and my neck was like really jerking um, and I just remember um, seeing my friend's face and she's kind of trying to hold me up. And she just looked absolutely terrified. And I can still picture her face to this day. And I think seeing that her reaction 
was what made me think, oh, I'm, that is it, I'm going to die. And I just remember trying to stay awake, trying to stay awake. And then in the end, I was like, oh, I can't even fight this. You know what? Just just let it be. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of fell unconscious. Um, and I think I was out for about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and I came around feeling so rough. Um, so, yeah, just awful. Um, wasn't, couldn't really talk, couldn't move people were talking at me and I, I just felt so confused. Um, and when I got to the hospital, it, the seizure was that serious. They thought it was a stroke because I couldn't move the left side of my body. I couldn't speak. Um, uh, my dad was there. He came to the hospital and they were asking me whether I recognized him and I recognized him, but I couldn't say he was my dad. And it was just really, really confusing. And and I just felt so confused. Um, and yeah, I was diagnosed with epilepsy due to how serious the seizure was. Wow. And then they, they obviously started you on medication. So mm -hmm. what was that like? So firstly, what were you put on? And then what was the return to training like? Yeah, so I was put on Tegretol, um, which was good. It, it worked instantly. I never had a seizure like that again um but it did come with a lot of side effects so I um was really lethargic uh, they say it affects your balance I didn't notice that all the time uh, but I did notice it and I just yeah I just felt really tired no energy but then on the other hand I did feel really grateful that that I wasn't having seizures like that again because I was in hospital for I think four or five days um, really confused for a, a good couple of days after um, really frustrated because I was trying to say things and I couldn't say them um, and just felt really, really upset. So, and I remember the doctor saying, you know, there's loads of different types of epilepsy and loads of different types of medication and it could be trial and error to find one that worked. So I just felt really grateful that this medication had worked and it stopped the seizures um, and then in terms of getting back training, my coach at the time, John, he was really, really good. He just said, no, take, take your absolute time and don't, don't come back for a, a good while. So I think I had around three months off because um, it happened early October and I had October, November, December off. And then in January, I started back again, but I just noticed huge differences in terms of like energy at training and just, I just wasn't running quick. Like I was, be oh, as quick as I was before. Um, mm. Yeah, I just noticed that. And I, at the time I thought it was the seizure, um, but actually my mum pointed out after this had been going on like a couple of years, my mum pointed out, do you know what, it's probably the medication. Um, and especially because I just always felt so tired on it. I, and, and then when I came off my medication and, and started running well, I realised that my mum was right. Yeah, and I mean, I'm quite excited right now because this is a rare opportunity for me to demonstrate <laughs> my actual thing, which I wasted four years studying for at university <laughs> and the first three years of my career, which is as a clinical pharmacist. I can finally talk about medication. <laughs> all that money was well spent and I'm sat here. <laughs> I've got my guide to all oh, drugs yes. on, on the desk. Um, 
and and yeah, I mean, you talk about those sort of common side effects, and Tegretol mm-hmm. is the, well, it's a brand name for carbamazepine, and mm-hmm. like just the, the really common. So these are the side. These are the really common side effects: uh, dizziness, drowsiness, dry mouth, fatigue, fluid imbalance, gastrointestinal discomfort, headaches, hyponatremia, which is like low sodium. So all the things which were actually. <laughs> that list of side effects pretty much describes the end of a race i imagine for most people yeah. uh yeah. you're really tired your sodium levels are low you've got really poor fluid balance um uh, vision disorders vomiting weight increase those obviously that's not the end of the mm-hmm. race those are general side effects mm-hmm. but yeah but uh but yeah so it's, it's interesting that that's probably in many ways some of the worst effects you could have for medication for your sport and obviously those are what you had thrust upon you so what was it like i suppose emotionally and mentally having that clear let's call it almost a disability in terms of what the medication was doing to you it was setting you back in that way yeah it was really tough because i put a lot of effort into my athletics um i know everyone does but i was a really really i still am a really really hard worker and i just remember I remember even competitions like crying to my mum when I'd uh, there was a competition called English Schools and um, I just kept missing out on the standards um, year after year and I just remember one year I just sat on my mum's knee in public at the track being like 15 or 16 so like that's not cool to do that, at that age. <laughs> and I just remember crying my eyes out just like this just feels so so unfair um because I don't like I think at the time I wasn't oh I, I knew what my mum was saying about the medication but until you like until I came off it I didn't quite believe it um so it was really tough because I was putting all this training in and I was just when I was racing and I, I was just rubbish it, I just and before I, I was actually winning my races and, and doing quite well and then when I was on my medication I was just I was just rubbish. I was doing rubbish and it was tough. Um, but then I came, when I came off my medication, obviously it came with like a lot of worry and anxiety that kind of that safety blanket had been taken away from me. But when my time started to come down and just to put it into perspective, so the English schools that I tried to qualify for every year, I couldn't qualify for when I was on my medication. And then the year I came off, I went there and won a silver medal. So I'd kind of gone from not even being able to qualify, which would put me in the top 32 or whatever in the country, to then going and becoming the second quickest girl my age in the country. That just shows how much it was kind of debilitating me. Right, so um, finish there for this episode. Uh, It's really nice to have little look back on some of these guests and what they've all brought to the party which i think has been a real variety i think although the format's been very similar like we're talking about sort of covid having like a little game talking about their sport their injuries and that that format's actually reasonably rigid but i think each guest has really brought a whole new persona and um these tangents which i've really enjoyed and how we've gone down these somewhat dead ends sometimes and these sort of weird uh, sort of side roads and it's, it's been really nice just to sort of get to know these people and some of these people I really think are going to be sort of let's say acquaintances or maybe even friends for life so I'm really excited about perhaps what the future holds with some of these really fascinating people 
Um, I said this is uh, a little break from the norm. We have two episodes left of the sort of classic format. I said due to this on-call shift, I wasn't able to to release them necessarily as plans. But next week we are meeting up with Ben Fletcher, who is I said he's a he's a Team GB or ex Team GB now Team Ireland judo athlete, um, soon to be two-time Olympian. He's really excited. And finally, we've got a little bit of a sort of AeroFit special with the sponsors. Going meeting up with some breath experts and some of the founders of the company and find out more about how that product works and what I'm gaining from it. So that's gonna be a really exciting way to finish the series. Um, once again, though, let me just thank everyone who's been involved in the series so far and everyone who supported me from friends and family. And and yeah, like um make sure to check out the social media, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z, um, where you find out much more details. And importantly to follow it now because we're gonna have this little series break probably coming back um, around about the time of the olympics um because only my guests are competing at the olympics and it'd be really great to track their progress uh, and then that second series of follow on from there so lots to look out for lots to be excited for um, all i need to say really is remember stay safe <laughs>